Welcome back to part two of our interview with Andrea Perrin at Real Ghost Stories Online. Andrea, the eldest of the daughters that were portrayed in the movie The Conjuring and her own book, House of Darkness, House of Light. It's a three-part series that uh, goes through the history of the home where these events took place all the way uh, past them leaving the home several years later. Very, very interesting read for anyone uh, into the paranormal. We'll talk more about that book in just a few minutes. I want to remind you to please subscribe to our show at YouTube. Just click that subscribe button and you'll be able to catch uh, other episodes and other interviews that we do uh, about uh, the paranormal with people who've experienced uh, their very own real ghost stories as we share them here at Real Ghost Stories Online. Andrea, continuing on with your story uh, from uh, that, that farmhouse in Rhode Island, and uh, an evening that was portrayed in the movie The Conjuring uh, as uh, a exorcism, but as you said earlier, it was actually a seance that was performed uh, with the Warrens. Uh, let's walk through that night. Let's walk through it from the beginning and hear exactly what happened, uh, because from what, what I've heard from you and from what I've read in several places, reality is sometimes scarier than what was even portrayed in, in the movie itself? Well, when the Warrens called and asked my mother if they could come that night, it was a Friday night. My father was due home any time. My mother was preparing dinner when they called. It was, uh, I could tell, uh, she almost got kind of a gray look on her face because she just didn't want to deal with it. It was it was just, it was so difficult for her. And my mother had been undergoing a transition of sorts herself. And that's why the Warrens felt so compelled to come and help because they felt that my mother was suffering oppression of a spirit and they wanted to dispel the spirit from the house. Mm-hmm. She did not know that they were coming with an entourage. She had no idea. When my father came home, We were all sitting at the dining room table having dinner. She told him that they were coming that night, and he blew a fuse, which silenced everybody in the room, at which point, you know, appetites were lost. (laughs) Everybody gagged down the rest of their dinner, and then Mom suggested that we all find a place to go that night because, you know, Roger was irritated. It was probably best if the girls were gone. Mm -hmm. Well, it was a Friday night, and everybody had plans, and friends were off doing things, and only Nancy was able to escape from the house that night. She went with her friend Katie, but there was no place else for any of us to go. So we were all uh, sent upstairs when they arrived. Uh, My father had a scowl on his face. It was clear he did not want them. When he saw that another car pulled in behind and people were unloading equipment, it just, it was, uh, you could cut the tension with a knife Mm -hmm. in that house. My mother sat on the chair in the parlor and just um, kind of went into a stupor. She was so exhausted and she was so tired of fighting and it was just, Difficult. I'm so sorry. I'm so, okay. There's a hawk in the yard, and the dog has to do her job. <laughs> and her lunch. job is to chase the hawk away. <laughs> That's okay. Okay, I will go into the back part of the house where okay. it's quiet. I'm so sorry. You'll it's have okay. to edit this sure, out. Sure, sure. So sorry. It's okay. Um, 
So uh, anyway, she was uh, very demure, and my father was the one that was uh, truly agitated about this, what he considered a a gross imposition Mm -hmm. on the family. So Ed took my father off and tried to explain to him that he and Lorraine were very, very concerned that my mother was slipping away. Mm-hmm. Something had to be done. There needed to be some intervention on her behalf. It took Ed more than an hour to convince my father that a seance was in order. Uh, what Mrs. Warren called a gathering of souls. Mm-hmm. When you Let me just ask you this here. When you say your mom was, was slipping away, is that implying that... that she was under some sort of, uh, I don't want to say possession, but but is that kind of the what what you may be hinting at, or or, or some something of that that form? Yes, they okay. felt absolutely certain that she was oppressed and okay. that she was uh, that she was being claimed, okay. as it were, okay. from within. So what they wanted to do was call forth the spirits and dispel them from the house. Okay. But they were not equipped. You know, this was spiritual warfare. Sure. And they didn't come with enough weaponry or enough troops mm-hmm. to handle that. And what happened was finally my father acquiesced, <clears throat> and he uh, joined in with this uh, group around the dining room table. Cindy and I, Christine stayed upstairs, April stayed upstairs, Cindy and I slipped down the front stairwell and were standing in the front hallway that connects the dining room to the kitchen. And the door had not been closed all the way. It was open about an inch and a half. We could see into the room, and they had dimmed all the lights, and there were candles, and the medium took all of her goodies out of her little silk grab bag and set up her thing. Her name was Mary. And the priest was there, and he was—he seemed to just be observing. Mm-hmm. And when this happened, as soon as <clears throat> Lorraine started beckoning the spirits, the medium took over from that point and said that the, the gathering had commenced, and then all hell broke loose. It was that fast. Wow. When you say all hell broke loose, can you describe what happened? The table began to levitate. Now, this was a 250 or 300-pound solid rock maple table. I'd be surprised if a 5-pound Walmart table levitated. (laughs) Anything levitating is not a a normal occurrence. To say that there was a force to be reckoned with is the understatement of the new millennium. Yeah. It it began to lift the table. Uh, My father jerked away from the table. Ed pulled him back. And then my mother, who was sitting in a captain's chair, there were two captain's chairs uh, at the table. They were at least 40 or 50 pounds Mm apiece. They had the big arms and, you know, for the head of the dining room table. And she was sitting there, and her her body started to uh, curl in a way that is not humanly possible. She pulled her legs up. Her legs were pulled up to her knees, touching her chin. She began to warp and cry out in pain. Anybody that had witnessed this 
would assume that the next thing they would hear are bones breaking. Yeah. She started to speak in a language that does not exist on this planet. She spoke in a voice that was not her own. It was dark. It was ominous. It, she growled like an animal. She cried in agony for about 30 seconds to a minute that seemed like eternity. We watched her body transform, and then it began to lift. The chair began to lift, and then in a split second, a split second, she was thrown from the dining room into the parlor, the whole chair with her in it as though she had literally been uh, tied into the chair, and it went with her. And when it hit the floor of the parlor, her head hit the floor of the parlor as well. And I thought I'd watched my mother die, mm -hmm. that her skull had been fractured and that she was dead, at which point my father jumped up, went to rush to her, uh, Ed grabbed his arm to keep him from going to her. Lorraine was already on her way. The medium had collapsed on the table. She wasn't showing any signs of life at all. She was just laying there. And when Ed tried to stop my father, my father turned around and cold cocked him. Just mm -hmm. took him right to the floor, busted his face. I cleaned up the blood later, so I know it was a, it was a hell of a hit. Yeah. And, uh, he rushed to my mother, started taking her vital signs, making sure that she was... At that point, Cindy and I were both quaking, literally quaking yeah. in fear. And I grabbed her by the hand. April opened the door to the bedroom. I turned around, and I didn't yell at her because I didn't want to give my location away, but was um, very mean to my little sister and told her to close that door. And, of course, by the time I grabbed Cindy's hand and we went up those stairs, poor little April's upstairs crying, and I had to, you know, make amends with her because I was never mean to any of my sisters. But I did not want April exposed to what was happening down there. So, meanwhile, uh, I went through the uh, upstairs, up that stairwell, through the house, across the top floor, through all three bedrooms, and Cindy followed me, and I tried to convince her not to come. I said, I'm just going to go check on Mom, but she said, no, I'm going. And so we came down the other stairwell that opens up from my bedroom into the parlor where we could see what was going on in the parlor because, of course, everybody had moved from the dining room into the parlor, mm -hmm. at which point my father was absolutely frantic, out of his mind, trying to get my mother to come back. I mean, he was begging her, begging her to, you know, show some signs of life. She was completely unconscious. Yeah. Uh, the next logical question is, why didn't someone call 911? Yeah. Well, 911 didn't even exist back then. There you go. And to, uh, to call the police in on this or yeah. an ambulance in on this would have made everything even crazier. My father was monitoring her vital signs. He knew she was still alive. And so they were just trying to get her to come back, to come back. Mm -hmm. uh, meanwhile, all of the, the tech crew had gone downstairs prior to this event and hooked up. They had all state-of-the-art cameras and their tripods, you know, these big, heavy cameras and all kinds of stuff and lighting and sound and everything. 
at which point Mrs. Warren, after this had occurred, um, and my father was telling all of them to get the hell out of his house, Mrs. Warren directed the tech crew to go back downstairs and to retrieve their camera equipment. When they got downstairs, it had been destroyed. No one was in the cellar during this incident. No one was downstairs. Oh, wow. And all of their equipment had been decimated as though it had been picked up and slammed against granite walls. It was in pieces all over the cellar. Wow. Uh, those two men came up with tears pouring out of their eyes. Their, all of their investment was gone. Mm-hmm. So they gathered up what they could and as quickly as they could because, of course, at that point, no one wanted to be in the cellar of that house. Yeah. And uh, started removing their uh, shambles of items out the kitchen door. They didn't even come back through the parlor. I never saw them come back through the parlor. All I know is that they got, gathered their equipment and they went outside and they stayed outside for the duration. Uh, the woman that was there who was taping the incident picked up the big reel-to-reel, packed it up, got it out of there. Meanwhile, Mary Pastorella, who was the medium at this um, episode, event, whatever, uh, had apparently come back, and she was uh, sitting at the dining room table and with her head just hanging, just sitting there. So she really couldn't participate in anything at that point. She was obviously completely drained. Whatever came into my mother that night, I don't know if she was possessed for a short amount of time or if this was just a vicious attack. But I will tell you that whatever it was that entered that house that night subdued the spirits, scared them as badly as it scared the mortal souls. Really? this event and it had every power that it possessed to have killed my mother that night it opted not to rather its choice was to make its presence known to everyone else that was there when you say it, it, it scared the spirits how what do you mean by that uh after this episode mm-hmm. the house was quiet for months really? and months afterwards wow yes what? i mean absolutely subdued all activity in the house what was the priest's reaction as this was going on? You said the medium had passed out. Was the priest doing anything? Was he? Did he attempt anything when this was all going on? He was shivering like a leaf in wow. the autumn wind. Wow. He could. His face was all the blood just drained right out of his face. Sure. He, he was uh, with this stark, stoic look in his wide eyes, just watching what he had seen was obviously something that he had never seen before. Sure. And it scared the living daylights out of him. Was that the most extreme evening that you ever had spent in that home? Yes, and it was the only time that I was ever truly frightened in that house. And it was because I thought that I'd lost my mother. Sure. Now, you you guys stayed in the house for several years to come. Yes, another years yes as as those years went on after that night was what what sort of activity did you encounter uh, as those years went on uh, multitudes yeah. multitudes of things was um, it but me, a lot of them were playful okay. and a lot of them were um, you know relatively sweet natured it, sure. it wasn't there was, you know, people say, was there poltergeist activity in the house? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I just turned 55, and I can't tell you 
now any more than mm-hmm. I knew when I was 12 years old what exactly was going on in that house. Sure. All that I do know is that it was real and it was true. And, you know, I, I tell people all the time, I can't explain it. And anybody sure. out in the world that says that they can mm-hmm. and that they know exactly what's going on with the supernatural world they're being disingenuous they're living in bad faith they're telling themselves a lie and then spreading it to the rest of the world because if we don't know no one does Mm -hmm. when when you did eventually your family eventually did move from that house was there a reason for for the move uh, that was related to the the activity or was it just time for a move my mother uh, my mother approached my father and said, Roger, I won't survive another winter in this house. And she meant it, and he believed her. And they put the house on the market where it languished for six months. Uh, I was in college at the time, and all the time that I was in college and I had heard that the house was on the market, I was begging, praying, please don't sell our farm. Please don't sell our farm. And it wasn't until I had the same conversation with my mother Mm -hmm. that she had had with my father that I realized that we were going to have to relinquish it because my mom could not stay there anymore. So after we had literally zero bites on this property, Mm -hmm. my father went to the abutting landowner in Massachusetts. We had 200 acres of land, 60 acres of it, even though they had sold off 100 that was across the street Mm -hmm. earlier in our tenure at the farm, we still had 100 acres and 60 acres of it was in Massachusetts. So he went to the abutting landowner and cut him a very sweet deal on the property. And we moved about two weeks after I graduated from college. So I hardly had any time to say goodbye to my friends and to part with that place. That was a very tumultuous time in our family Mm -hmm. because half of us wanted to run like the wind and the other half of us never ever wanted to leave the farm so it created a very deep emotional rift in the family and when it came time to tell this story I started writing this doing a diagram and an outline of a manuscript in August of 07 I didn't even tell anybody in my family right away that I was doing it because I knew that it was going to be difficult and that it was going to raise hairs and and bring back a lot of things that we had not discussed in decades. Sure. So, and, and, and it did. It was, I'll tell you, it was the hardest thing that I have ever done in my life. It was emotionally devastating, very difficult for everybody in our family. And yet many, many passages of the books are literally verbatim from the person whose story is being told. Mm -hmm. I went to great lengths, extraordinary lengths, to interview ad nauseum everybody in the family. And in the process of doing that, a lot of those hurt feelings came back to the surface, and it created consternation i mean my mother and nancy were fighting and you know cindy was cindy was all bent out of shape i mean there were just a a lot of things that came up because mom looked at me one day and she said you know annie we spent 30 years trying to bury our dead and look Mm. look how close to the surface they were buried sure 
What what came first, the idea for you to to create this book and and share this story, or did the the movie concept come up? How did this all eventually come out to the surface to the public hearing about this? Well, this is one of the very bizarre things about it that people don't know, and that is that before I even told my family that I was doing this, I was taking my own recollections and putting them down on index cards and putting them in a recipe box okay. because it was such a huge story sure. that I knew I was going to have to organize it first mm-hmm. and come up with some semblance of, of control over it before mm-hmm. I could actually begin writing it. Sure. So I hadn't shared anything with my family yet, and I got my first call from a Hollywood producer. And it was on the, the last day of my 48th year. Mm-hmm. As I turned 49 at midnight, we were still on the phone. Oh, wow. And we- he's the one, and he wasn't the only one. I had two separate, distinct individuals call me from Hollywood, and there was no way that they could have known that I had started writing this book. No, not at all. Was it, it, was it the fact that did Lorraine Warren begin to discuss the idea of, of sharing this story with Hollywood, and that's how they were forwarded on to you then? Yes. Okay. It happened simultaneously, and when I talked with Lorraine out in California, mm-hmm. I said, do you remember back when this all began? And she said, yes, it was in August of 07. And I said, Lorraine, it was like a bell went off in my head. Mm-hmm. It was like an old-fashioned alarm clock, you know, the kind that's so loud that you yeah. couldn't possibly sleep through it. Sure. It was like that my whole life. I had a wonderful life. I had a a beautiful little cottage on Waterman Lake in Harmony, Rhode Island. I had a great job 2.7 miles away at Harmony Hill School. I loved it. I was a counselor there. Uh Um, I was with the Theater Company of Rhode Island. I had been for 20 years. I loved my theater company, and I loved everything about my life. And suddenly, suddenly, inexplicably, I was dissatisfied with everything in my life. And I needed to tell this story, and I knew I was going to have to relocate to do it. I knew within a few months I was living in Georgia. I packed up everything I owned, put my critters in a U-Haul, sitting right beside me, riding shotgun, Mm -hmm. and down we came. Because I could not, I was the only one living in Rhode Island. Everybody else was living in the South. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I had to be with my family to tell this story authentically, Mm -hmm. to have those midnight conversations over Coco where, you know, in a game of Scrabble where something came to the surface. And I can't tell you how many times my mother would divulged something to me that I had quite literally never heard of before, things that she had kept to herself when we were children, Mm -hmm. because she didn't want to traumatize us any further. That was our biggest concern about the film. Well, my biggest concern was when they hired James Wan to be the director. I had not seen any of his former films, but Uh I had heard plenty about them. And my reaction was, oh, my God. They hired the king of slasher porn to make our family story. Yeah. And I could not have been more wrong. I could not have judged him more harshly than I did, prejudged him. Sure. Because when I met him and we spoke at length about what his vision for this project was, he couldn't have been more respectful, more sensitive, more mature, 
and more intellectually involved. He made a real emotional investment, as did everyone else that was involved with this project. They knew they weren't telling an ordinary ghost story. Sure. They were telling the truth, at least to the, to the best of their ability that they were able. Sure, and it was best they could fit into a two-hour time window on a, on a movie. What, uh-huh. what has been the rest of... I mean, I know you said your mother has not seen the film. What about your sisters? Have, have they seen the film, and have they had a reaction to it? Uh, yes, everybody in the family has seen the film, um, some more than once. Uh, I've seen it five times. My father's seen it a few times. You know, because all of our friends were like, oh, let's go. It's still in the theaters. Let's go. Let's go see the movie. And you know what's fascinating to me is every time I see it, I walk out and I see full-grown, big, hulky guys with tear streaks down their face. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it really does get to the heart of the matter. You know what I mean? Yeah. It really has an emotional impact on people who see this film. But um, my mother has yet to see it. If she requests to see it, then, of course... Um, we'll get the DVD and mm-hmm. and pop it in and let her see it on the TV screen. But uh, this was not something she needed to go into a movie theater to see, sure. especially because she's um, she's frail and you know God forbid anybody were were to recognize us. Sure, I wouldn't want that kind of an onslaught to occur sure. around her. I can handle it, but she couldn't. Sure. So um, we're uh, we're taking that slowly. I do feel absolutely certain, however, that in the future there will be a film rendition of House of Darkness, House of Light, the trilogy. I don't know how they could cram that into a two-hour film either, Mm -hmm. but um, there is a great deal of interest around seeing the trilogy made into a film. So to my knowledge, it will be, when it comes to pass, the first time in history that um, two films have been made about the exact same story from opposite perspectives. You know, here's an interesting thought on on that, just because it is such a, a long story. Um, that almost sounds like it could be uh, almost like a, a drama series. I mean, the amount of stories and amount of material that is there to base it on, that sounds like a perfect AMC type, yeah. uh, you know, type show where, you know, it, it's a multi-season, multi-year uh, you know, drama. I could see something like that unfolding uh, mm-hmm. with, with that story. Well, I would really, really like to work with, uh, the folks at New Line Cinema and Warner Brothers, because I'll tell you, the the big thing that I had to take around this entire project mm-hmm. was signing my my name to a contract to use our names and likenesses to tell this story. Sure. And I did it blind. I did not know who I was turning permission over to. Yeah. And since then, you know, as these years have passed, and I have gotten to know all these wonderful people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have an idea in your head about, you know, the, the Hollywoodites, you know how they are. Sure. They're as down to earth and, and just absolutely beautiful souls, yeah. wonderful, wonderful people. And I want to work with them because sure. I know them now. They are a known quantity. They were strangers that became friends. Sure. Sure, no, that makes total sense, especially for something as sensitive as this. That is, it is part of your life story, and you want it to be portrayed in as accurate a way uh, as possible. One more... Well, I... Go ahead. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, I, one more question about uh, once you did leave uh, the home, and I know you had already gone off to college, and uh, and your parents decided, okay, it's time to, to leave the home. Did anything follow you? Was there any occurrences, anything uh, that was comparable to what you uh, experienced in that home happened to you after you left that house? 
Well, that's a big part of Volume 3. And I'll tell you, uh, we all thought that when we left the farm, that would be it. Mm -hmm. But my mother said uh, to me uh, not long ago, she said, you know, we were able to leave the farm, but the farm will never leave us. And attachments were formed. We moved in as a normal family, and we left 10 years later as a paranormal family. All of us have had numerous incidents since leaving the farm. Mm -hmm. Attachments were formed. And I will tell you without divulging too much that uh, years and years after the Warrens had left the farm and we had not heard from them again, uh, they contacted my mother in Georgia Mm -hmm. when we moved to Georgia, which is where we went when we left the farm. We moved to the mountains of Cherokee County, Mm -hmm. uh, north of Atlanta. And uh, somehow she found where we went and called and suggested to my mother that time had passed, we had left the farm, and would she be interested in working with a ghostwriter, which I always find that so funny, um, to write a book about the experiences at the farm and possibly to make a film. Mm -hmm. And she offered my mother a boatload of money, life-changing money, Mm -hmm. to do this. And my mother's immediate response was, no, I don't want to revisit that. I want to leave it all behind. It's over. It's done. I don't want to go back and revisit any of this. Mm -hmm. And Lorraine said, just talk to Roger about this, Carolyn. This is a lot of money we're talking about. It's enough to change your whole family's future. Mm -hmm. And she said, well, you know, I'll talk to him about it. I will. Well, he came home and fell asleep on the couch, and she went downstairs to throw in a load of laundry in the cellar of the new house that Mm -hmm. we were living in. And she was attacked down in the cellar of the house, a 200-pound solid oak door that had been removed and placed very carefully out of the way Mm -hmm. so that antiques could be moved into the house. After we had moved in, that door had not been put back because my father wanted to use it elsewhere in the house, so he placed it very carefully against the back wall of the cellar at such an angle that it was literally impossible for that thing to move. And it was behind my mother as she was putting clothes into the washing machine, and it came down on top of her in a split second and cracked her skull and knocked her shoulder out of place, and she was very badly uh, injured that night. Wow. And she knew. And when Mrs. Warren called back the next day, Uh my mother said, absolutely not, Lorraine. Absolutely not. Yeah. Wow. Was there was there concern when you decided to start writing this these books, this series of books from your mother at all? I mean, uh, given what had happened the last time uh, someone had uh, inquired to your mom about sharing the story? Mm-hmm. Yes, I was concerned, and I had reason to be concerned. Sure. Uh, there was, um, I have had, I could write an entire book just about what happened while I was writing these books. I really? can tell wow. you that much. Wow. Uh, not just what's happened here. I have to be very careful about that because I live with my mother and my sister Christine, and sure. this is her home. Okay. Uh, just a pretty little farm just west of Atlanta, about 40 miles outside of the city, out in the cow and horse country. We have more cows and horses than humans as neighbors. It's great. Sure. But, uh, you know, we, uh, we do love our place in the country. However, um, 
we had an incident. Uh, all seven of us were invited out to the set in March of 2012 as they were filming in North Carolina, mm -hmm. uh, the house that you see in the film. Sure. And we were invited to the set. At the last minute, my mother backed out of the trip. And we were all very reluctant because I was coming in from a book signing in Michigan. My father and my sister Nancy would be coming up from Florida. And my mother was supposed to travel with the rest of the family from Atlanta to uh, Wilmington, North Carolina. And she backed out at the last minute. And interestingly, Lily Taylor backed out at the last minute. So the two matriarchs of the Perrin family mm -hmm. were not present on the set that the day that the rest of us were there. And they were doing an interview with us. Uh, late in the afternoon after lunch, it was probably around 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and my mother was home alone, and we never, ever, ever leave my mother home alone. So, of course, we'd made arrangements to have nieces come by and check on her, neighbors to check on her. And uh, we were granting this interview, and we were about three-quarters of the way through it when a rogue wind, a supernatural wind, passed through the set but only where we were. I looked immediately. I'm talking 60, 70 mile an hour wind, uh, just an ominous wind that came over us. It blew the booms and the screens and the cameras and the tech crew was grabbing their equipment as fast as they could yeah. to salvage what they could. It was um, just bizarre. Yeah. And I turned and I looked at my sister Christine and I said, Bathsheba's curse, and she just nodded knowingly. And because we've always called anything that, that's bad that happens, you know, uh -huh. my mom says always make light of the darkness. Sure. And so whenever, you know, somebody gets a hangnail, oh, Bathsheba's curse, yeah. oh, oh the, the, the axe handle fell off, oh, Bathsheba's curse, you know. Sure. And it's, it's just kind of been a running joke in the family. Well, I was serious as a heart attack, and I looked at Christine, and I just said what I said, and she nodded. And we found out two hours later that that exact same time, my mother had fallen in the house and broken her hip. Oh, my gosh. And the way that it happened was just bizarre. So when we got the message, we were in a remote location. Everybody had their cell phones turned off to do the interview. Mm -hmm. So when everything was over and all the cell phones went back on, a text message got through to us out there. There was hardly any signal. I don't even know how it got through. But the message came from my nephew that said, Grandma has fallen and broken her hip. She's in the hospital. Stephanie's with her. And, oh, my God, I mean, it was like I, I ran to Rob Cohen. I said, we need the van. We've got to go. My mother's been hurt. And they got us back to the hotel. In the meantime, as we got closer to the hotel and had more signal, we were able to be in touch with everybody in the family. And we found out that she was so badly hurt that they had postponed the surgery to stabilize her. Wow. They didn't even think she would survive the anesthesia. To tell you that it was upsetting, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, give me a second. Here. Sure, sure. Um, so the doctor told us not to drive all night because we'd all driven in from different places. Uh -huh. <clears throat> and told us not to drive all night to come back, that they weren't going to do the surgery until the following day. So we got very little sleep and left at the crack of dawn uh, from Wilmington and started driving back. The five of us, mm -hmm. um, the five daughters, were traveling together in two vehicles. Got to the hospital together, all five parents and sisters walking into the hospital 
uh, turned some heads, let me tell you. And sure. we walked into my mother's room, and she had just come out of surgery. She was completely, utterly sedated. And the doctor, the nurse, my uh, two of my nieces were in the room, and all five of us came in at once. And my mother sat straight up in bed and looked at me in the eyes, and she said, Bathsheba's curse. She does not want to be exposed. I have not felt that presence in more than 30 years. Wow. And then she laid back down, of course, and went right back into a deep sleep. She has no recollection of it, but, you know, everybody there heard mm-hmm. what she said. And uh, she was pushed. Wow. She was pushed. So believe me when I tell you, we don't leave her alone. Yeah. That's that's very understandable. Well, I went to war with Bathsheba over that. Yeah. I said, if you had anything to do with this, anything mm-hmm. to do with this, you take me on, not my mother. Don't you ever touch my mother again. Mm-hmm. I'm the one that signed the contract. I'll tell you what she's angry about. She's angry about her portrayal in the film, and she's angry about what she perceives to be the lies still being told about her. And she's very angry that a man played her in the film. I've had numerous visitations and dreams and dreamlike states where she's made it very clear to me that she's not pleased at all. But now she's happy with me because I go out and defend her. And share the story, yeah. perhaps this is, you know, it had to come to pass the way that it did. Sure. And the, you know, the cautionary tale, the moral to the story is words are weapons. Use them carefully. What you claim to be true of another person Mm -hmm. might might live with them throughout their lives and may even haunt them after death. Yeah. No, but I think that the the entity in the house that was tormenting my mother was from the 1700s, from the Arnold family that originally had that farm that mm-hmm. married into the Richardson family that built that house in, in 1736 was when the house was finished. Do- and I'll tell you something, there is a very high likelihood that things that, that passed later in the 1800s and in the 1900s and the multiple deaths and tragedies that happened on that property mm-hmm. were probably because probably because those people were as haunted as we were mm-hmm. eight just... generations of one extended family lived and died in that house prior to our arrival and many of them never left it's a lot of energy in that mm-hmm. one one place let me ask you this and i don't don't know how much you would know about it but in the filming of the movie, other than what you just shared with us, uh, on set, when they were actually filming, do, did you hear of any stories of anything strange or paranormal happening just through the production of the film itself? Well, the spirit that tormented my mother always tormented her with fire. Uh-huh. And the night after we left, the hotel that the entire cast and crew was staying in Mm -hmm. had an inexplicable fire and they had to clear that hotel out at two o'clock in the morning they were all standing outside in the parking lot in their jammies oh wow um and that was just the first incident they had not had any incidents on set prior to our arrival but after we left all bets were off really wow and i don't tell their stories 
Sure. Some of them I don't even know. Uh, Joey King told me some things when I was on a press junket with her mm-hmm. uh, in Miami. Uh, and I've heard from other cast members, other um, folks involved with the film, mm-hmm. producers and stuff, that there were a series of events that happened. Sure. Uh, scared James Wan half to death. Wow. I mean, he really is a chicken. Sure. He'll admit it, too. He really will. <laughs> He had the opportunity to go look at the original farm and said, no, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks. Wow. I'm good. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so, uh, you know, he took very seriously what was happening. Sure. And uh, to say that everyone on that set was hyper vigilant for the rest of the filming of that uh, movie uh, is an understatement for sure. sure. Uh, there were many things that happened, but I let those people tell their own stories. Sure. I don't tell them for them because it was numerous. There are a few things online. There are a few uh, articles that were written, uh, one from the local paper and a couple out of the Hollywood press um, that uh, <clears throat> that approached this subject mm-hmm. with several of the cast members, and they do have stories to tell, yes, but okay. I don't believe they're really talking about it. Okay, okay. Well, thank you. Uh, Andrea, thank you so much for for taking some time today to sit down and share your story with us. I really greatly appreciate it. I do want to read the books. Uh, If if our listeners want to read them or or get a hold of them, what are the best ways to do that? Well, they're everywhere omnipresent like God. Okay. <laughs> the only, the only um, continent that I haven't heard from on the, on the globe yet is Antarctica, and that's only because the penguins can't read. You will now. Someone uh, will hear this in Antarctica and go, I have the book. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so there you go. Check and, that and one that up soon. that could be. Yep. Uh, but you can get them uh, online. The, the fastest and the least expensive way to get them is to order them directly from my publisher, which is their fabulous authorhouse.com and they have a bookstore you just click on and you just put in the title of the book volume one volume two and volume three will be out at the end of the month so all of the story will be out in the world by uh halloween actually it just happened to work out that way and the book of course um, called house of darkness house of light that's what they need to look yeah and there's no comma in between my mother is the one who titled the book when I was about three or four hundred pages into the original manuscript before it turned into a trilogy because it was so long. Sure. And she said, you know, what are you going to title the book? And I said, I don't know, Mom. I haven't really thought about it yet. It's, it's you know, got to get to the heart of the matter. And she just looked at me and she said, House of Darkness, House of Light. It was both. Yeah, very fitting title for the, the book and the story. Andrea, thank you so much again for talking with us. Thank you. Thank you very much. It was my pleasure, dear. I'll be in touch. There you have it. The inside story on House of Darkness, House of Light, otherwise known as The Conjuring from Andrea Perrin herself, author of that book, House of Darkness, House of Light. Uh, Do indeed pick that up. Be sure to subscribe to our show on YouTube. We have many more interviews much like this coming up. I I don't know that we're going to beat that. This was by far one of the scariest ghost stories I have ever, ever heard. But do subscribe, please, uh, as you don't miss any more of our shows. From Real Ghost Stories Online, I am Tony Bruschi. Thank you for listening. <laughs>